Sorry, and I'm just uh, suffocating here and uh, coughing my head out. Yeah. One of the problems we had over the last week, both of us got sick, right? right. So I yes. think if, if this episode ever gets done, then <laughs> Aniko, let's agree never to try again. Yeah. Yeah, I think this was a good, good fight. One of, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Paths, Puddles, Products podcast. This is a guest episode again. This time, Aniko took a walk with our guest Balash Fayesh in a special location, discussing generational differences influencing our outlook on our professional lives. Today's episode came together from multiple recordings. I joined them for a brief part of the conversation, but they walked the main path together. Come, join us, and let's hear what they talked about. Hi, Yuli. Hi, from, Balazs. From Construction Zone. <laughs> Hello. Hello, everyone. Good morning, good evening, depending on which part of the world we are sitting at. Mid-afternoon. And morning for us. We are back here again. This episode seems to have given us some challenges to overcome in order to to make it one was that uh, it was recorded back a couple of weeks ago in barcelona right yes. basically we walked around the town for hours trying to find a spot to to record relatively clean audio right yes we encountered all, all kinds of challenges and now we're back at home and challenges come home as well with us so <laughs> Uh, Balazs is sitting in the room and uh, the neighbor decided to reconstruct the house. It's unbelievable, unbelievable. But we're here, we're pushing through and we're hoping for the best. Indeed. So maybe I should introduce myself because I'm not a well-known podcaster like you two. (laughs) (laughs) Please, we would love that. I think best way to introduce me, um, Aniko's older brother right right i live in hong kong quite far away and yeah i've been in similar fields to what you're discussing right and i tend to have an opinion about stuff so i give some honest feedback to my little sis about about previous episodes and she thought maybe it's a some of these topics are fun to explore yeah exactly. on air as well we have few opportunities to meet but the one like best opportunity to meet almost every year for us is going to Barcelona to Primavera Sound Festival so this time we showed up with a bunch of microphones that were not tested right (laughs) and other equipment (laughs) (laughs) and then we proceeded to yeah try to find a quiet spot in in a not so quiet city and I think the results uh, you will you will hear later on, yeah. Indeed, indeed. So, Balash, tell us a little bit about why you are in Hong Kong. Well, I think it's primarily the food, right? That's the main reason why people are here. <laughs> I love all kinds of Asian food, but uh, yeah, about ten years ago, uh, I had the opportunity to help open an office here, and. Since then, my responsibilities exploded a little bit. So I have some teams in 
China, Vietnam, Malaysia, Japan, Australia, Singapore, so all over the Asia-Pacific region. And as I said, I'm also in, in, in the world of building products and applications and platforms and stuff like that. But uh, nowadays I'm more on the kind of management side of things. So for me, it was also an interesting thing that we are exploring in this episode that you know, my perspective is a little bit different having like long, long-term tenure with my company and being more on the side of the employer when it comes to you know, the employee-employer relationship. So I think, I hope my perspective is interesting for your listeners as well. And of course, I will not not share like which company I'm working for and all of that stuff because then I would have to get approval from our uh, gatekeepers. So <laughs> let's keep that topic, but it's a big one. <laughs> Based on that information, for all we know, it could have been Cirque du Soleil, for example. I can't, yeah, confirm or deny. <laughs> How long have you felt in the employer role versus the employee role? Well, I, I think part of it is time, right? So I've been with this company basically since 2000. So it's been a while. <laughs> yes, it's been a long time. Uh, but, you know, especially you know, the when we went public and I became at least to a smaller scale, like a share order as well, like I have ownership, I feel more ownership as well. But just building teams, like now in my team, I have around 1,500 people or so. And basically building teams and hiring people, inevitably you feel like you're the employer when you're interviewing people and offering roles and onboarding them, you become, I think, more on the employer side. So yeah, it's time and and your role in the process as well. So you say if you <clears throat> hire others, if you onboard them, and if you are a shareholder, that can make you feel as an employer. Yes. Yeah. Okay. How did you end up in this position? What's your background? Did you go to any universities, schools, what kind of prior experience do you have? Do you want to point out that I never went never went to university? <laughs> that was a very pointed question. So, yeah, I, I did like a one-year course after high school. And then I joined the workforce and we, I've been working ever since. So I, I, if I look around in my current company, a lot of our like really senior people who come from technology background, they didn't tend to have the diplomas. Um, I don't know if it's, you know, it indicates anything, but for me, just being able to get, get a job, you know, back then as a, as a young person, being able to get a job immediately at an international company and feeling like I'm doing meaningful work and I can grow very quick in the technology field. It was like super rewarding. So, you know, I never felt the need. Um, but uh, yeah, my background is I was like a software developer. I did a lot of coding for many, many years consistently. And then I started to do a little bit of lead developer, then solution architect, project manager, and then 
it uh, all went downhill from there. <laughs> and, you know, um, but yeah, I think nowadays my job is more to build a leadership team who can work work with all the people we have in all these different locations, and then. I think given the, the market and, and the complexities and the challenges on the market, I spend a lot of time directly with clients, right? So I kind of built a strong leadership team on the delivery side, and I'm spending a lot of time working with prospects and clients and figuring out how to engage and how to make them happy and build products together. Did you ever have any problem uh, with uh, not having a formal education? Yeah, I think, first of all, it is embarrassing, right? <laughs> so I think it is embarrassing. For example, when I had to relocate uh, to Hong Kong and I had to put together the paperwork, it is a bit embarrassing to have like a high school diploma um, as part of this package. But I think I kind of made up for it by working in the industry for like, close to like 30 years or something like that. So, you know, I don't think I lack confidence in terms of understanding technology and software and architecture and solutions and things like that. On top of that, like in our field, it's difficult to find people who can have a good conversation with clients and understand their needs very well and communicate reasonably well. So I think my added value is I can, you know, I spend, the last 30 years, you know, understanding different industries and businesses and enterprises. So I have a good overview and I'm very confident that I'm able to discuss what our clients need. And then I can turn to our teams and convey that and get get a team going on it. So if you would put me in, in a project where I'm a developer, I wouldn't be too worried. I would have to spend a couple of weeks to catch up like what happened (laughs) since I last looked at that particular technology. I I would be absolutely used as, for example, in like data science uh, or building an operating system or something that requires like really high level mathematics and coding skills, but business applications, I think you don't necessarily need the diploma to build another business application. And my very first project, my very first job was at like an ERP company building just a humongous, insanely big application um, that I think gave me good perspective on almost all dimensions of an enterprise from finance to HR to product to whatever. And, you know, I was able then to apply that and then understand how digital marketing works or mobile channels work or wealth management works or other areas. So, yeah, I, I didn't miss. But again, there's there's a specific field where you have to be great with algorithms and mathematics, and I'm not there, and I'm fine with that. So do you feel like that maybe what you were not lacking uh, with not having gone through this higher education system is the soft skills that you managed to pick up on the way versus the hard skills? So that, that's a funny thing. I think soft skills, look, I'm, I'm, I'm a very introverted person. I don't like to go and you know talk to people I don't know. 
but uh, there was a gap that I recognized and I was able to just buckle up and go ahead and, and do the best I can. And so it's something that can be built. Again, you don't necessarily need uh, higher education for that. But yeah, funnily enough, like my kids here in Hong Kong, they, they go to like an international school and I'm always amazed about how they are trained to like do a presentation, work as a team, you know, all, all these different mechanisms that make any kind of job much more successful. These soft skills they learn, you know, from age five. Um, and, and I think that's a great advantage for them for sure. Why did you choose coding back then? You said yeah. it was 2000 or then you must have... No, no, in... 2000, I started in my current job. So yeah. I started way earlier. I think it was like maybe age 10, 11. That's when like computers really started to happen in, in Hungary. It's like Commodore. Uh, yeah, I had, I had uh, yeah, Commodore 16 first. And we had like a computer lab at the, at the school. And I was able to get access, and of course, I fell in love with games first. But you know, I did make that next step and try to understand how to code in basic for Commodore and try to write a game for myself. And of course, my parents were absolutely amazed that I can do this kind of futuristic stuff. Um, it was like a positive feedback loop, and I. I really enjoyed, you know, when I got my own computer and I was able to do this. So by the time I got through high school, like I, I didn't have any question, like this is a highly marketable skill. I love playing with computers. So of course I went ahead and it, it worked out great. So it is, it is still my passion. I love technology and I love understanding how systems and applications and enterprises work and I love to explore. So that was a very easy choice. I feel like it connects all of us, the part that we love to explore systems and how they work. Well, I think one of one of the things that made me successful was like I, I have this approach to like think systematically. So if we start to talk to a client about, let's say, a banking application they need to build. Like I start to look at the pieces, how they fit together, what are the different domains that we need to cover, how they align with technology platforms. And to my surprise, not a lot of people can do that, right? They get bogged down with the details or... Um, this was a high five, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I only saw three fingers, but uh, close enough, yeah. Well, I wanted to uh, refer back to a conversation Aniko and I had uh, a few podcasts ago when we were talking about how coders love to sit in the dark room. And then she also mentioned how what, what brought her out of the dark room, which was that she was she started to see the gaps in the system and wanted to help fix them. Is this what brought you also out of your dark coding room towards more of a management role? I mean, I, I clearly remember like one project. I was like a senior developer on it, kind of a project manager. And then we brought some more junior people in. And one guy was really ambitious. He wanted to be focusing on coding. 
but as a junior, he got the job to do like testing on the project. And I had that conversation with him and I realized like I might as well do the test cases and uh, unit tests and stuff like that and let him do the coding because that that's where the gap was, you know. Um, and it, it's not like I'm completely given up on, on programming. So every now and then like I select a framework or a language or a tool and as a hobby, like I, I learn it just to be up to date with it. But I see more gaps on the communication side, on the leadership side. I, I really enjoy be, having the ability to make big impact on the organization, on the team, on the client side. So if I can make a bigger impact by working on planning the work and building a team and all kinds of stuff, engaging with the clients and some people enjoy focusing on the algorithm or the code at them. Yeah. So it's just the gap um, that I see and the impact I enjoy. I don't think anybody really enjoys managing. Do you think anybody enjoys managing people or? I would say yes. Okay. Yeah. I also think. I'm not that person. (laughs) In my point of view, there are people who come from, a certain specific group of skills and they grow out of there and they they start to see as we keep talking about the system and what they see is gaps in it and they have a certain group of knowledge and then they start to build upon that and then in my opinion um, not everybody can I think it can be very challenging to go from a domain knowledge towards uh, people management and any other aspect that comes with management it's a different skill set and I'm not sure how it's inter changeable like if you come from this specific domain knowledge going towards people management or if you are someone who were initially learning management without a specific domain knowledge can you also go the other route so i believe Mm -hmm. that there are people who maybe find that more appealing or less boxing in unlike we did the other way around we thought that would be maybe less impactful unless we have another domain knowledge so I, i believe that there are people who went the other route and they do enjoy doing that. Maybe because they do enjoy that or maybe because they have a lack of experience with the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I feel comfortable that at any time I can decide to like downgrade myself and you know start to do development again. Um, but what I really enjoy is, again, just having the opportunity to have influence over in like how teams are structured and what we commit to. Like, it's great to be the person who makes the commitment to the client and not having somebody else do that. And I, I, I hope, like, this is where I can help, help the most. And again, now I'm very much focused because I have so many people across all these different locations. It took me a few years to build a leadership team who can take care of it and, and, now I'm kind of a little bit more back to actual like client work and product work, and I'm really enjoying it. Like right now we're talking to one client in Japan who is like in heavy industries and they build all these big industrial robots. And it's fantastic to understand how data is collected there. And then I'm talking to insurance clients who you know, exploring embedded insurance, and I'm learning a lot about these platforms. I absolutely love this stuff to understand how the business works, how we apply technology, and then 
how can we make it better hopefully i love that you're saying that it really sounds to me like we have a very similar drive to what we do but the way we do it is very different so thank you for being here again for a brief introduction and from here we will cut to the difficultly recorded episode in Barcelona. Okay. And let's hear what the differences are in our opinions. Awesome. Thank you, Balaj. Thank you all. Thanks. Hello, Aniko. Hello, Balaj. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing fine, thanks. The weather is beautiful yes. here in uh, Park Diagonal Mar in Barcelona. Yes, it's not your usual woods. Definitely not. And we've seen drunk British tourists. Yeah, also being, not, not yes. that frequent in my regular forest. Yes. And we also have palm trees and mm -hmm. parrots. Everything is better with parrots. Definitely. Yes. We're here for Primavera Sound, which is music festival we've been visiting for 10 years. This is our 10 year Primavera anniversary. Yeah. Well, you know, we're as far away from work as possible, right? Yeah. But we will talk about work. Yeah, let's talk about work then. <laughs> yes. You have this wonderful podcast called... Path Paddles Products. I am a listener, right? Right. And so when I listened to your first episode... Yeah, I remember your feedback was that it was like listening to two aliens talking. Yes, because like... Even though we're siblings, there's a huge age difference between us, yeah. yes? So I'm firmly in the Gen X generation, right? Right. And you're and properly I'm, millennial. I'm an elder millennial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so for me, it's interesting to like hear your perspective on employee-employer relationship and just different attitude to work. Yeah. So I thought that's that's like an interesting topic to explore. Definitely. And you're also like on, usually on the other side of this uh, employee-employer binary or client answer yes. binary as well. So. so maybe worth noting, like I have been with the same company since 2000. So that's 2000. like, yeah, so that's like 23 years. Nice, yeah. Whereas you do tend to, you know, let's cross. You do tend to move around and build your career yeah. in I, a different way. In a very different way. Yeah. I, I usually stick to one client or workplace for not more than two years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so for me, like my tolerance for suffering and managing conflicts and just taking a long view i think it's more you know not just my personal style but my generation it's tends generation. to be like that yeah as well your generation is somewhat more patient than ours i but guess I, I think it's like pros and cons obviously it would be you know easy to position it like i'm doing the right thing and you're just being well, a millennial, but I think it's just a different <laughs> set of values and interests as well. So, you know, for me, like uh, being able to work and receive a salary and being employed 
is absolutely like essential. Not only because I have like four kids, yeah, several wives, <laughs> um, but it's just you know a, a basic thing that I always had to work hard for, right? And don't take it for you know granted. But on the first podcast, you and Yuli were talking about currently both of you doing pro bono work, right? And I said, like, for me, that's like hobby. Yeah, but, and I, I tried to explain that there is a difference between hobby and pro bono work, at least for, for me, is that uh, when we are talking about hobbies, that's something that I am in total control of. Like, for example, our podcast is a hobby, or making art, or doing anything creative for myself. That's a hobby. And pro bono work is different because it is actually for a client, and there is a client that we're helping. Uh, it's a, it's an NGO helping mm-hmm. uh, shelters and all kinds of animal protection care causes, and they had some problems that needed solving, and we're working for them basically. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting because like, if we go back to this like generational differences, yeah, for me it's all about. Mm, I, I don't particularly become passionate about causes, right? So if there's some activity going on, even at the company level, like I'm going to support it, right? But I will never like champion something that's a cause. Like my main focus is you know, keep the economy going, keep the company going, you know, generate revenue, make money. And that, that dominates my thinking and, I expend all my energy on like production work. Right. And then of course there's family and there's photography, which is my like art passion. There's no way I'm gonna get excited about like helping somebody who is in need or highlighting an issue. So it's absolutely not important for you. It's not one of your values to well, I'm not going to gonna actively do something that's like negatively impacting somebody yeah, sure. on purpose. But, but you're also not going to do something that positively impacts somebody on purpose yes. if it's not your work. Yes. So, so you also don't donate to charities. You're, you don't donate your money or your time. Sometimes I donate to charities when I feel social pressure to do so, right. but it's not, not okay. by my wish. And then to be honest, like, we discussed this before. Right now, with the geopolitical situation and the economic downturn, like I feel we're all out to protect our families, earn enough money while we can earn enough money and be relatively safe on the family level. Right? Yeah, so and your then, impact level shrinks to your family. Very much so. You're not thinking about any higher level, like yes. your local uh, community or the global community or the environment. Well, or anything. If it's, That's like secondary. If, if it's like local, local, like something for my neighborhood, I actually do get involved. Right. Okay. But that's about it. And okay. then like on the company, like obviously I'm involved with any activity with the company, but... On the country level, or even like, you know, sometimes you do charity for stuff where you're not in that group, right? Right. For example, for example, like elderly, uh, you know, Gen X people, you know. <laughs> so you you do support somebody like a group that you're not part of. It's because of you feel that their cause is worthy or something like that. Yeah. Right. So I don't have these feelings at all. <laughs> That's interesting. And so you think it's a generational difference? Well, 
I think obviously there's people in my generation who deeply care about causes, but just looking at the time when we, we are active, you know, from a work perspective, like we had to work crazy hard to achieve some sort of sustainable wealth for ourselves, right? And I think newer generations might have a baseline of more wealthy, more positive society. Like now it's all going to shit. Yeah. But there so was a I period of like twenty years of, of growth, economic growth. It was easy to get a job. It was easy to get employed or change, you know, right. where you work. So there was less pressure to do you know, hold on extremely tight to the role that you have at, at your job and then, you know, grow within that. So, like, when I started to do work, there were barely any private enterprises in Hungary, which is, uh, you know, unbelievable yeah. to think about. When I started to do work, it was fantastic to work for a foreign company and I did everything I could to excel at my work. And you know, I take that sort of same attitude to my current job for the last 23 years, right? Yeah, you are just stuck in that mindset that you really need to work to to keep your job. Like, well, work hard. actually, you know, the, the other thing you mentioned in that same first podcast, which was very interesting, is how you think you, know, you can work four hours a day or something like that. Because in that four-hour block, you work extra hard and deliver the results, right? Yeah. And in my mind, there's there's a person in Vietnam or India or somewhere who has the same quality that you have, and they're willing to work 10 hours, then you lose out. in Because we're competing now for jobs globally. Yeah, and that's not my experience. Mm. Like, I have always found my my job and I did not have to compete very with cool. yeah. anyone that asks even less than me. So I yeah. think we are, well, both me and Julie, we live in Hungary, so our cost of living is way lower than than the US or, yeah. uh, or Western Europe. So we can still be also very cheap mm-hmm. <laughs> compared to some people. And we are providing quality that can mm-hmm. can compete and like it, it is my experience like I, I of course in the last couple of years it was a bit harder to find work for sure that's both me and Julie felt that and I think we have talked about it in previous episodes but do you, do you feel like don't you feel like that's going away the opportunity is no. that just my mindset no okay I that's don't. good I mean of course, I was worried, and then I went to one single job interview. I told them that I don't want to work full time, and this is what I can provide, and they were super, super happy to have me. So between my two long-term jobs, like I did take like two small jobs as well for like half a year or something like that. Right. So my experience is, you know, very different. But yeah, I feel like. It takes quite a while to like prove yourself in a role, become productive, understand the product, the domain, the environment. Yeah, so I think accumulating that knowledge 
and using it, for example, completely random domain, like if you're working in a, in a web shop selling bicycles, right? Totally random example. Yes. So if you start to build up very specific knowledge, like, for example, bicycles have different parts and sets and some things are compatible or some things are not, it's not the same as buying toothpaste or a car, right? So there's like domain details also. Like if you if you do e-commerce, there's maybe a specific platform. You can double down on that and become like a true expert in that platform. And then your worth becomes higher than somebody who always, you know, learns something new for a little while. Well, you can also provide higher value if you have a very diverse range of experiences. Mm. And then every time that you are dropped into a, a new team, you can bring your external knowledge and external point of view to that. And you have seen a bunch of different processes, have seen how that works or doesn't work, mm-hmm. can counsel them, give ideas about how to optimize their processes that they don't know because they have been working in that same process for mm-hmm. years and decades. Well, it's not like I'm personally like stuck within one domain either. Like right. I, I have the luxury within the company to like learn about new business. So recently I learned a lot more than I ever expected about insurance. It's not something that was, you know, an early passion of mine, but (laughs) I learned about it. But yeah, I think clearly like both models work. You're happy with what you're doing. Yeah. I'm happy with what I'm doing. It's just our values and expectations are are very different. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very interesting to see like, when faced with career choices, we make the complete opposite yes. uh, choices almost each and every time. Yeah. And they both work and they yes. both make us happy. And I would say like our personalities are actually quite similar. Yeah. Like that's why we can hang out for one week and not, not go crazy. Yeah, not yeah. go crazy. But still the underlying values are different. Yeah. And of course, given that I have like four kids, <laughs> wives, everything. Like I carry that responsibility, but I know people who have families and are more entrepreneurial and do a startup yeah, every yeah. now and then. So I don't think it's related. It's probably more, I don't know, values. Because we grew up like together, more or less, but different trajectory. Right? Yeah, yeah. So I, like almost immediately after like a two two-year course, like I went into global enterprise development stuff and then stuck with that, I don't know, for like five, six, seven years in one company, then these two small ones and then 23 years here. Yeah. And like, of course, there's things I would change, but I, I think because of the investment I made in my job, like I achieved the level where I can clearly influence and impact decisions made and I would be frustrated to like get into a new new company and and again wow that's a parrot yeah we have two green parrots with us that's fantastic you know I would be very frustrated to like start from the beginning understand the power mechanics and you know figure out how to get my way and now nowadays like when I think about the employee-employer relationship, I more look at it from employer perspective. 
So when in your podcast, you know, you talk about what you expect from a company or what sort of environment you would expect or what frustrates you. Like, I don't think about my personal employee experience. I think about the other what, side. what can yeah. we afford to have like a positive P&L in the end, like become a successful business, don't spend too much, right? Yeah. Generate profit, but at the same time have an environment that attracts like the right people. So that's that's how I'm thinking about this stuff. And again, I think because of my investment in it, it's, I feel like it is my company. And to a certain extent, it, it is, is because yeah. I have shares, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, but you, you also mentioned that you are trying to find the balance between these two things. So you also like think about the costs, but you also have to create an environment to yeah. keep and attract the talent. I mean, ultimately, like, I want to have a company where I have people around me who feel challenged and every now and then fulfilled as well. (laughs) But the main thing is, like, even at this stage, even if you're a startup or you're, like, a 30-year-old company, in this economy especially, like, you have to have focus on are we generating profit and then... If you have to consider like what benefits you give to employees and how they feel, okay, it's important. It's a competitive business. There's so many companies competing and you have to generate value with like long hours of hard work. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, this is very interesting because I can see the other side of that. So I know what it looks like when you get a bunch of developers and tell them to put in the long hours of the hard work. That's definitely never the long hours of the hard work that you would expect. It's I think spending it's... a lot of time with many very, very ineffective things that provide no value for the company either. But what I'm saying is, if you're doing absolutely the smart writing, there's somebody doing the writing and puts in the 12 hours. Like this is it's, what I see. That's not true. <laughs> I think, I think to a certain extent. I have seen so many development teams. And mm. Do you think that all of your developers, like most, the majority of your developers, are the people who put in the eighty hours of good work during the week? So, in every team, like we have people who pull hard and. Quite, quite to an extent, they actually bring the other people with them. Um, of course, not everybody is, is like this, but yeah. I think by now, especially with the recent economic situation, like everybody feels we're competing and and tries hard. Yeah. Okay. It, everybody look, tries I'm, I'm not saying. To, yeah. It's it's not to just do a, something that is like very visible, but that's not yeah the same thing as providing the most value. So if you look at pure productivity metrics right now in terms of lines of code written or story points or whatever, like we do measure, we do measure and we do compare and we do compare. So I don't think as of today in 2023, you can really get by without high performance at this 
at this stage. I'm not saying yes, it was never you, like that. Are you very confident in your metric metrics? So do you, yeah. you know that you are measuring the right things yes. and that really is creating value, those yes. story points and those lines of code. Yes. And that you make an effort to yes. make those metrics. I have, look, I have maybe, I don't know, 20, 30 clients we are serving and I'm intimately familiar with most of the metrics around it and the situation and the people we have on it. So I have about maybe 1,500 people like in my group. And I'm quite familiar with the dynamics and strengths and weaknesses. So yes, I would say yes. And we have, look, we have so big pressure because it's a very competitive environment. Like we're, we are paid better because of this, yeah. because of like engineering excellence and productivity and all of that stuff, not because of the hours spent. So I'm relatively confident. But what I was going to ask, like, do you feel generative AI will just massively impact <laughs> our work? I hope so. Yeah, yeah. There, are, there is so much code that I don't want to write. <laughs> and it would be great to let AI write that. And then I'm just there to fix the fix, fix stuff, fix the errors. So last time, like I really invested um, personal time to like learn a new platform. I learned. Oh, there's a. I hope that that dog is not gonna pee on my camera. It was close, but I think close. We're good. So last time I invested my personal time into learning a like, new coding platform. It was React Native and, and the tools around it. And I went through like a Udemy course on it. And when I get to the point where I had to like, you know, retrieve a bunch of data and display it and then update it in a form, like do CRUD stuff. Yeah. I felt like Any I cannot write it one, write more, yeah. one more time. Like but, all, all our tools are getting smarter. There are so much, to, so many tools that are creating boilerplates, and it's just one step away from. But I think it's going to be it. at least for the next couple of years. It's going to be like really strong developers having massive advantage, you know, with this stuff because they can use this to like generate boilerplate code. Look, even more complex code, to be honest, not yeah. just boilerplate. But they have the mindset where they can review it, engage in dialogue with the co-pilot or whoever, you know, yeah, yeah. is behind the machine. Um, but it's interesting because, like, we can very quickly get to a stage where if the machine, right, can engage in the same dialogue with the users as we do to, like, understand the needs, understand the business, yeah. then... It's not just about boilerplate code generation. It's creating the user story and then building the whole experience. I think it's going to be interesting, but it's it's a few years away. Yeah. I, I have some friends working on stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So. Never had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's it's an interesting area. Interesting area. And I do think it's already massively disruptive, but. You can see how the industry is like recognizing the risk that it brings into everything. So I wonder if like there will be any strong 
like legal frameworks around it. And, yeah, that's really interesting. Like, yeah. I'm also pretty scared about how this will all end up. Like AI is writing code, writing their own code is like yeah, that's when a, they that's can optimize the most, yeah, uh, optimize us out. So I think the trajectory is like yeah. right now it's like us writing most of the code, maybe use some tools. Yeah, then yeah. it's we instruct, you know, we we're working with the co-pilot type of thing. Yeah, that's and then safe, it, but like the and next And then it's, next is... one is it's going to work and we just like oversee potentially and then we get uh, optimized out. Yeah, I'm a bit worried about like the overseeing part. Like I don't think we do that right at this moment. So AI, AIs that can write code have access to the internet. That's like that's a part and to... all of our work stuff in online communication platforms yeah, yeah. and the so history of our writing. To, yeah, to accidentally create an AI that acts like a virus and just collapses all our infrastructure with all the all of these tools. Well, we can all like go back to nature, enjoy yeah. parks. I would recommend to like live in a country where you don't need heating, right? It's yeah, warm, and like, have fruit. Uh, good uh, potable water, that's yeah, also important. Uh, probably not too close to the sea mm. or not too low below Flooding, sea level. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. So that, that but then my... <laughs> you can do fishing. Fishing, fruits, no yeah, heating. But... All right. I, I, I still vote for the landlocked little countries with a lot of potable water mm. underground. Okay. Well, with that happy <laughs> thought, <laughs> I think we're good. Yeah. Bye. <laughs>